Hello, what's going on? Episode number three. Let's do it. Jump into it. What can I learn from this podcast? Episode three. What else is there to say? Nothing. Let's just do it. What I'm going to do is, my big plan is, I like samurai. I just like the idea of samurai. So, I'm going to I'm gonna have a look at a samurai movie. I'm going to look for the lessons. There's got to be some life lessons in, in these movies. So, as it says here, Ran, the film, is a 1985 epic period drama. Epic period. It's a 1985 epic period drama f- film directed, edited, and co-written by Akira Kurosawa. Now, isn't it so good when you find a good movie? You know, you're like, yes, this is something. You know, this is something I can learn from. Now, Akira Kurosawa. Who is this man? What does he do? Wikipedia tells me that Akira Kurosawa eh, was a Japanese film director and screenwriter who directed 30 films in a career spanning 57 years. He is regarded as one of the most important and influential filmmakers in the history of cinema. So, that's Wikipedia saying that. That's not your twitchy-eyed neighbor down the street saying that. Wikipedia is saying that. That's good information. It also says that in 1990, he accepted the Academy Award for Lifetime Achievement posthumously. I think that posthumously, he was named Asian of the Century in the Arts, Literature and Culture category by Asian Week. Asian of the Century. So let me let me try and describe the opening scene. So. You've got mountains, you know, scenery, the the scenery of Japan, just these mountains. And you've got these guys on horseback sitting there with the bows and arrows dressed in samurai clothing. And they're just looking out, you know, they're they're waiting for something. They're just looking off into the distance. And you're like, yeah, this is the stuff. There's nothing going on. But it's kind of like you've you've just jumped into this into this time machine and you've gone back like five hundred years and you're just there sitting floating in the air looking at these guys sitting on their horses on the mountain. Isn't it weird to think about that? Like four or five hundred years ago, there actually were these samurai just out there in the mountains in Japan on their horses, sitting out just looking out. It kind of freaks me out for some reason. But that was a real thing in life. Alright, so I'm going to give some spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie, maybe go and see it and then come back to this podcast. So I'm just going to give you a brief summary of what happens at the beginning of the movie. So basically, the setting for this movie is hundreds of years ago, you know, during that feudal time in Japan where there were samurai and shogun and warlords. And we get introduced to this old aging warlord whose name is Hidetora Ichimonji and his three sons, Taro, Jiro and Saburo. Basically, the father realizes that he's getting older and, you know, he's losing his mind a little. You know, he's going a little crazy and, you know, maybe dementia is setting in. So he makes an announcement that he's going to transfer his authority to his sons. Now, what we learn about this poor aging father is that he was an absolutely brutal warlord. You know, we learn this in, in the beginning of the movie and much later as well. But he was going around spreading absolute death and destruction and misery for the people of the land. So in the beginning of the movie, you kind of feel pity for him. You know, you feel sorry for this this old guy. He's, 
he's going a little crazy, dementia is setting in, you feel sorry for him, but later in the movie you, you realise what he's done in his life and it uh, just changes the, your, your picture of him totally. Now you're really going to watch this movie twice to, to get the full impact of the story because it reminds me of Fight Club in a way. When I first watched Fight Club, I had one kind of opinion about the characters as I was watching them. And then knowing the story, going back to watch Fight Club again, you know, I had this totally new perspective. So the old father performs the ceremony where he has three castles and he's going to give each of his sons one of the castles. And the castles are ranked, you know, so one of the sons at the end is going to be head of the, of the family. So when you first watch the movie... You see one of the sons, Sabro, showing absolute disrespect to the father and you're thinking, whoa, what, what is going on with the son? And the other two sons are just typical nice sons, you know, they rush to his side to help him and they show a lot of respect. So when you first watch this movie, knowing nothing about their backstories, you'll see this old father and you'll kind of feel sorry for him, you know, because you can see he's getting older and he looks like this nice old guy. And you'll see the, the two sons being very respectful to him. And then you'll see the one son, Saburu, and, you know, he's just acting like a, like a jackass. But once you learn more about their backstories later on, you realize that this old father was actually this brutal warlord. And these two sons are really just pandering to their father. You know, their whole thing is just flattery to, to get what they want. And then Saburu, you know, the arrogant son, once you learn more about the story and all of their backstories, you realize that he's this kind of jerk that you know that... He's a real jerk and he's really blunt with things, but in the end, he's the most real. You know, he's the one you can really trust in the end. Because at least you know what you're getting with him. You know, there's no fake stuff, there's no flattery, there's no pandering. So Hidetora, you know, the old father who's kind of going slowly demented, he holds this big ceremony event where he's going to transfer the power to, to his son Taro. And it's all pomp and ceremony, you know, he's walking around with his chest out and he's talking about his long history of battles and his two pandering sons are, are going along with it. And Saburo, you know, the seemingly arrogant son, he can obviously see through all this pomp and ceremony and this, he keeps jumping in and, and questioning his father. You know, you can, it's almost like you can see him laughing at all this ceremony and he can just see his two, his two brothers pandering to their father and he knows what their agenda is. So I'm just going to read a scene from the screenplay. So the father, Hidetora, says, You perverse brat! Are you still pulling your tricks on me? And then the son, Saburu, says, You are the one who is acting foolishly, speaking such nonsense. Hidetora says, What do you mean, nonsense? The son, Saburu, says, You are. You are either senile or you're mad. The father responds, Silence! How dare you speak like that to your father? What have I said that is mad? What have I said that is senile nonsense? And the son, Saburu, responds, I'm going to tell you. First, just what do you think this world is? This is a world where men's evil, cruel instincts are exposed, where you cannot live unless you throw aside your humanity and all noble feelings. The father responds, I'm well aware of that. And Saburu says, I suppose you are. You have spilled so much human blood, you cannot measure it. You have lived without mercy or pity. But father, we too are children of this degraded age of strife. You do not know what we may be thinking. My dear children, you think. To me, father, you are none other than a madman. A senile old madman. So finally, Hiratora, you know, the old crazy father, he's finally had enough of Saburo's behaviour 
and he decides to banish him from his territory. You know, he's that's it. You're gone from this territory, from my kingdom. You have to get out. And then one of the warlord's aides jumps down on the floor and he begs this warlord, Hidetora, to, you know, not to banish his son because he says that even though his son, Saburu, seems disrespectful and he seems too blunt and direct, what he's really saying is the truth. So what does this crazy old father do? He banishes both of them from the land. And then when you watch the, the rest of the movie and you get the rest of the backstory, you realize that in this situation, Sabru was kind of being very blunt and direct, but really he was speaking the truth and he was really trying to save his father. And one of the aides could see that, you know, he was an, an honest man as well. And he jumped in to try and defend Sabru. And then when you watch the rest of the movie, you realize what a crazy fool this old father was because he put all of his trust in his two pandering sons. And in the end, it turns out that the two pandering sons were the ones who betray him. So I suppose the lesson from this is that in life, like you come across many different situations and people, and it seems like you can have good instincts. You know, it seems like you can just have intuition about, you know, who the good people are and who the bad people are. But really, the only thing you can really trust is really finding out the details, you know, really finding out the true details of everyone's backstory to, to really get the the true picture because honestly when i was watching this movie first i just thought that this old father was just just this nice old guy and his two sons were just being really respectful and following tradition and i saw sabru as this just arrogant jackass son but your understanding of the situation changes dramatically when when you learn a little more about the father's history and then what you when, when you see what the two pandering sons do later on in the movie so it just kind of shows me that I can't trust my own first impressions sometimes, you know. I just really need to find out the full story and go deeper into the, the details to, to really know what's going on. And the other lesson is that, I mean, it's kind of obvious, but don't become a fool. Because the old father obviously got too comfortable in his position where he became the fool. And he couldn't see with his own eyes that his two sons were just pandering to him. Like, I suppose it, it really does happen in life where you get people in positions of power and they have a bunch of people, a bunch of yes men around them who tell them what, what they want to hear. And those people in positions of power become the fool because everyone, everyone around them is just pandering to them. So they don't, you know, they lose their, their grasp on reality. And now the movie jumps to a point where it's a few days or weeks after the, the father has transferred like ultimate authority over to one of his sons where you can now see that that son has done a complete reversal in his personality and character. So it's a complete betrayal, you know, I mean, it's either the father was an evil man, so the son betrayed him, or the son is just a, a complete evil bastard. So, so at that big pompous ceremony, the deal that the father made was that he would, from that moment, he would hold on to symbolic power in the family. Okay, but the actual practical leadership and authority would go to one of the sons and then each of the sons would get a castle and then the father would, the, the plan was that the father would go and stay with each of the sons in the three different castles. So the father was obviously expecting that he would receive like this great dignified hospitality when he, when he went to stay with his sons because symbolically anyway he was still head of the family. But very soon he gets the shock of his life when he realizes that in fact his son Taro that he gave ultimate authority to is really this twisted, egotistical, power-hungry maniac. 
you know, during his stay at the castle with his son Taro, the father keeps receiving these, you know, like small slights and, and insults and he can't really seem to understand why his son is insulting him in this way. And what's worse for the father is that his son Taro has a wife and it seems like his wife is whispering into Taro's ear and they're both kind of conspiring together to just to make his life misery. So you've got this once great Japanese warlord walking around the place expecting to be treated like as this as this king by his sons just after giving his sons his own power and now he's walking around the place just absolutely amazed and confused at the fact that they're treating him like this old fool. So I'm just going to read through one of the scenes in the in the screenplay. So Hidetora, you know, the old demented father, is staying with his son Taro in one of the castles. And I suppose the agreement was that the, the old warlord would keep some of his old, uh, what, what do you call them, the, the samurai, or just some of his men that he had before him who fought for him, just to act as kind of security or basically just to do stuff for him. So one night, they're all sitting around the fire together, you know, Hidetora and his men, and they seem to be drinking sake and they're singing songs. And some guy called Oguro comes over and kneels in front of Hidetora, the father. And he says to the old demented father, I beg to speak. Lord Taro Takatora is holding a family gathering to drink in celebration of the transference of the headship of the house. Therefore, he requests the presence of his father. And Hidetora responds, huh, It seems like he is summoning me. So the old father is pretty angry, you know, and he gets up and he goes up into this room to, to meet his son, Taro. And Taro is sitting there with his wife, I think her name is Kaede. And they're both sitting there in this room, like holier than thou, you know, they're sitting there with like all of this self-importance. They're just sitting there with this weird look in their eyes. You know, when you see someone kind of very coldly, like, like just trying to look off into the distance in a very kind of weird, aloof way. And you know that they're just thinking that they are like God's gift to the earth. You know, that they're just sitting there kind of like looking like, oh, yeah, we, we own all of this. We, we, we dominate all of this. You know, everything here belongs to us. They've got that kind of energy and vibe going on. Whenever I see someone like that, I, I just think to myself like, oh my God, you just don't understand life. Anyway, so the father enter, enters the room and he sees him sitting there and he says, I heard this was a family celebration, but it's just us. And Taro, the son, says, yes. And Kaede, you know, Taro's wife, says, please, have a seat. And then the old father says, am I to take the lower seat? Who do you think I am? And then Kaede, the wife, says, you are my husband's honorable father. The old father says, is that all? What happened to the great lord? Is he dead? And then Taro, the son, says, Please, do not joke. The old father says, I'm not joking. As I remember, I said I would keep the title and forms of the great lord. You must not forget it. The son, Taro, responds, We have not forgotten it. It is you, father, who have forgotten that you gave the headship of the house to me. The father responds, What do you mean? I handed you this castle keep, moved down to the outworks, and even set a limit on the number of my retainers. A little later in the conversation, Taro reveals that he wants his father to sign some sort of contract. And he says to his father, I would like you to sign this and seal it with your blood. And then the old father says, this is so absurd, I do not know what to say. So the contract that the father is being forced to sign reads... I transfer to Taro Takatora the headship of the house of Ichimonji. Therefore, Taro, 
Takatora is now the head of the house of Ichimonji. Hereafter, I, though the father of Taro Takatora, shall submit myself to his authority and shall not act contrary to it. I shall not be guilty of deceit with respect to any of the above clauses. I pledge the above upon any and every god on this land. So the old father says, Well, do you think I can affix my signature to such a stupid document and seal it in blood? He continues, Are you my son? And Taro the son says, What are you saying? And then the father responds, Is this a child's attitude towards his parent? I will not stay in this castle. I have another son. So then the old father gets up, you know, pretty angry and he, he leaves the room and then you've just got Taro and his wife sitting there and you're just thinking to yourself like, man, these are cold-blooded people, you know, they've got absolutely like zero compassion. And then in the most chilling way possible, Kaede, the wife, tells the story. So it's an absolutely insane, chilling thing to watch and you've just got Taro, her husband, just staring at her. So I'm not going to tell you what she said because honestly it feels like a little too dark to mention in this podcast. But that's going to be your job. Yeah, so go out watch that movie. Akira Kurosawa, the director, is just an absolute master at presenting these characters to you. And you know, you've got this first impression of them. And then a little later he'll just throw in these other details and you're like, oh god, okay, I I understand why they're they're like that. You know, he's really showing you that, I mean, people aren't evil just because, I mean, very often there's a deep, deep trauma somewhere going way back in their lives. Anyway, I'm going to finish this episode because it just kind of feels like a, a good moment to finish on. But in the next episode, I'm going to come back to Ran and I'm going to have a look at some moments throughout the movie and especially at the end because there's, there's some really profound moments that happen at the end. So leave a comment if you want, you know, tell me what you thought about the movie and, uh, you know, subscribe if you like this stuff. And I have I have an account on Patreon. I mean, if you want to support me there, cool. If you don't want to, no problem, no pressure. It's all good. But until then, take it easy. Peace out. I'll speak to you then. Credit for the song Surf Shimmy goes to Kevin McLeod and you can find his music at incompetech.com and I'm going to leave a link below in the description.